Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. That's right, you are here joining me on a business trail once again. Thanks for spending this 30 minutes with us. Now, what about that first year? Can you remember the first year in business? I remember my first year and it was uh, it was interesting to say the least. It was, it was challenging, it was tiring, and sometimes I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do and I didn't know where to focus my energies. Now, today, that is the issue that we're going to define, challenge and conquer. Three ways that you can get over that first year in business and actually three lessons you can learn that will stand you in good stead for the rest of your entrepreneurial life. And joining me today is someone who managed to set up a fantastic business, actually set and surpass his own goals all by the ripe old age of 30. So it gives me great, great pleasure to welcome to the show, Mr. Brenton Hayden. How are you doing, sir? I am doing very good. Thanks for having me on your podcast. This is very exciting to be here. This is always a lot of fun. So thanks so much for doing this. And uh, just before we dig into that kind of specific issue, then Brenton, tell us about your business. Tell us where you are with it now and tell us what's going on with you, sir. Uh, Renters Warehouse is my business. Uh, it's one of many, but it's by far the most successful one. Uh, Renters Warehouse is a professional landlord service. We're redefining the way property management for residential homes is done across America. Uh, we help everyday homeowners to rent and basically manage their rental real estate, whether they intended it as an investment or uh, we showed them how to use it as an investment. Uh, it's, a, it's a booming business. It's something that's gone very well for us. We have about 10,000 properties uh, under management across the country and growing. We hope to have about 100,000 units under management by the next three years. So it's something um, that's going very well. Um, as far as how I'm involved in it, um, interesting to note, last week, Friday, I sold a, a controlling majority stake to a private equity group that uh, shared my vision for uh, kind of world domination of the property management industry. And uh, they're helping me lead uh, this business uh, to become you know, more than a, media, a medium-sized business, but we want to become a, a household name in America. So uh, we're week one into that arrangement, and we're already off to the races, opening up some corporate offices in Seattle. Uh, but for me, I'm no longer the controlling shareholder. Um, I was the founder and CEO for seven years, um, retired for about a year, and just worked as the chairman of the board, which is a pretty active role. And then now I'm Chairman Emeritus, the outgoing uh, chairman of the board. And uh, while I'm still the largest uh, single individual shareholder, I'm no longer in control and I'm enjoying the, um, uh, the benefits that come with that. It's uh, essentially, other than a board meeting, I'm, I'm retired at the, as you say, the ripe old age of 30. So that's where I'm at with the business. I get to be more of a consultant than a hands-on doer. And I really believe I've partnered with uh, a team that shares my vision and the appreciation for my team and where we're going. And uh, they're going to now take over uh, on that mission. Well, that's fantastic news. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. That seems a fantastic way to start the show as well. That is fantastic. So let's think, Brenton. You, obviously, you've gone through this process. You've built the business and you've, you've actually managed to partner with people that share that vision and want to take it to the next step. Let's just dial it back seven years. 
where did you start? Where did Renters Warehouse come from? And what, you know, what was the catalyst for you starting this on your own? Where did that come from? You know, um, I think it came from a bit of inspiration and depression. Um, I had a rough story, you know, by the age of 17, I was, um, uh, by my own doing homeless and living in my car kind of, uh, in self pity. And I decided this was not, this was not the way I was going to, you know, start my life as an adult. And, you know, I ended up getting a job and, uh, I decided to take control of my life. Um, and it was in sales and then I screwed up and I got fired again. Uh, and it was around that time that uh, I'm living in my car, I'm showering at the park and in a, in a fit of inspiration and depression, I, I got out a notebook and I started writing down what I was good at and what I wasn't, where I was going and how I was going to get there. Started scribbling out some math and I wrote what was important to me and I, I gave myself some time frames. Uh, it seemed at the time, you know, unrealistic, but it was just, it was, um, it was an honest self-reflection. And and looking back, it was my passion shining through. It was my passion for wanting to be something uh, successful. Not that I wanted to be uh, admired or famous. I wanted to be self-sufficient. I, I realized that I really didn't want to work a long time. I really realized that I didn't want to be 60 and retired. I wanted to be 30 and retired. And I, real, you know, I wanted to enjoy life. You got one life to live. And I, I created this kind of life mantra at a young age on a yellow notebook. And then I carried that thing around with me for a long time. And it, that was what was driving me. It wasn't saying that I would start a property management company and become one of the biggest landlords in the country. It never mentioned that. But what it did say is that I would start a business, that I needed $7 million after taxes, and it would be something that I was passionate about or that gave me the ability to get the things that I was passionate about. Those things were you know, a house for my dad and helping him retire. Uh, fancy cars. I loved fancy cars. Um, and I wanted to uh, be able to retire young and early. And that $7 million was a calculated number of a lifestyle that I wanted in my head for the rest of my life. So it was, it was a roadmap. It was passion all tied into one. And that, that was kind of the, uh, the catalyst for starting, actually not necessarily starting Renner's Warehouse because it wasn't my first company. It was saying that I was going to start my own business. My first company wasn't a success. It was my second company that was Renner's Warehouse that, that became a success. And it was a company that I never, ever thought I would get into and had no experience to get into. So that catalyst was everything. Um, and you got to use that. You got to kind of harness when you're down and out or when you're inspired. You got to kind of, it's a, inspiration is a, is a here thing. It's a now thing. It goes away really fast. So when you're inspired or depressed, you got to use it. You got to grab it up and use it because there's a lot of passion usually hiding in either one of those emotions. I love the idea that you, it was your second business as well that was that was the success because so many people feel bad about that. So many people feel bad if it's not business one that is a huge global stellar success. Let's just revisit that for a second then. So, you know, when you decided that this wasn't the success that you wanted it to be, what did that look like? What was the frame of mind that you were in? How did you how did you transition from one to the other? What was that kind of what was that time like in your life? My first business was in buying and selling real estate, helping people buy homes and sell homes like a traditional real estate agent, but I had a real estate company and I wasn't very good at it. Uh, it was a tough business. It was uh, highly competitive. I didn't have the experience for the bank account to really compete at it. And that's what I mean by I wasn't very good at it. And, but I was listening to the audience. I was listening to the negative feedback. I was listening to the reasons why I didn't, didn't get business. And I was starting to see that everybody wanted the buy or the sell business, but nobody wanted the, 
the rent or the managed business. And I thought, well, I don't even have to be that great. I can figure it out because nobody else is doing it. And that led me to my second business. So I essentially abandoned the buy-sell traditional real estate brokerage and became a rent and manage. Um, you know, they call you a real estate agent as a, you know, when you buy and sell. I like to say that we're in the rent estate business when you rent and manage because we're revolutionizing the way property management's done. It's no longer a real estate business because real estate agents can't do what property managers do and vice versa, perhaps. So that's why I like to think Renner's Warehouse is starting to invent the rent estate business. And that's what our, my second business was. What did it feel like to make that shift? What was the... Did it feel like you'd failed or did it feel like you'd nat naturally shifted? Because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people say, well, you've got to have that failure to, to really succeed. And I'm not sure that I buy into that all of the time. So what was that like for you? You know, I, de I don't know that I looked at it like I failed. I, I realized I didn't really want to do that. And I, and I was inspired by the opportunity to do something different. Uh, it was scary. Uh, because now I'm, you know, kind of abandoning something I just set my mind to, to start on something else that's entirely different. Um, I put a lot of pressure on myself, um, both directly and indirectly. Um, I had ramped up some debt on the other business that I would have had to basically acknowledge that that no longer was valuable to me, but I would still have to be paying on it. It was almost like uh, an agreed upon abandonment of cash over here. And so it was, uh, it was financially stressful. Um, I worked more than ever in order to achieve it. So it made, my, it, made it more difficult for myself, but I also um, had, the, I had the power of inspiration on my side. I felt like I had seen something that was needed in the industry and I was really excited about it. So that actually, you know, I didn't feel like it was all that bad. While if you thought about it and looking back, hindsight tells you it's scary. But during that time, I kind of looked that away and I was pretty inspired to just kind of uh, make it in this uh, new idea I had going on. Yeah, I like that because you were completely, completely passionate about the the idea, but you saw the opportunity and was completely passionate about that and became more focused on that because the opportunity was so much better. And I think sometimes we, we forget that. I think we sometimes forget that it's all right to, you know, we, we see the word pivot banded about quite a lot and it feels like you didn't, you just said, well, do you know what? There's more money through that door, so I'm going down that road which seems very, very logical when you look back at it. But at the time, I can see what you mean. Kind of must have felt real scary. And how, what was the reaction of everyone around you? Because you just dived into this first business and you, you know, all guns blazing on this and then suddenly you're doing something else. What was the reaction of the people around you? Man, I had such a small circle at that time. You know, uh, I come from a small family, kind of a messed up family. Um, you know, I, I think back, I had my girlfriend at the time, which was, uh, she was very motivating. Um, and, um, complimentary, um, you know, I was just in my own zone at that time. And maybe that was, that was good. I didn't have a lot of inside or outside influence. I was just, just running on pure passion and, and uh, a simple plan. Um, and I celebrated those little successes that kind of helped me keep me going. So, you know, everybody I talked to is rather positive. Uh, nobody around me was telling me not to really do it or uh, gave me too much good or bad advice. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was nice. I didn't have that, uh, that noise around me telling me uh, to, to stop going or, or to uh, rain on my parade at all. Well, that's fantastic because it's just often the noise is just that it's noise and it's just one more thing 
that you have to deal with. So that's actually Indeed. a really luxurious position to be in. That's fantastic. Indeed. And let's just talk about that plan. That's the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm starting to become really conscious of is that, look, okay, I'm 17. I figured out that I'm not actually not doing what I want to do. I don't really have any prospects, but I know that I can do what I want. I've got this drive and passion inside me, which is so, so admirable because looking back at my 17-year-old self, would I have had that skill and passion? Mm, probably not. You know, I was 17 and didn't get it. And that I find that amazing. So I'm completely in awe of that. And I'd like to just talk about that plan because you mentioned earlier, 7 million, very, very specific. What else did the plan look like? What what keeps you making the right decisions at the right time? How did you go about implementing that plan? Just tell us a little bit more about that, if you if you don't mind. You know, there's a short story I like to say that talks about how you can have a really good plan, but you can't think of everything. So I set, I want to set the stage with that. And it was about Henry Ford, you know, the first American car. It was built in Henry Ford's garage in 1903. He put it together by hand, piece by piece. And the good news was that that Model T, well, that was a car the average person they could afford. The bad news was that when it was fully assembled, it was too large to get out of his garage that he had built it in. So he actually had to <laughs> knock out the wall in order to get his first Model T out of the garage. So he had this amazing plan that became the, the automobile. He was the inventor of this thing. And he, he is genius for it, but he didn't even think about how he would get it out of the garage when it was built. And it, it reminds me of my plan. My plan didn't say property management company, you know, sell it to private equity group for millions of dollars. It didn't say that. It just said, um, this is what I was good at. This is what I wasn't. This is what I wanted. This is what I don't want. This is what I stand for, stand against, right? Um, I just, I, I focused myself and I wrote down a plan. It's almost like a map. It's a roadmap, but it can take you many different places. Uh, but at least you have a map and it's going to make getting to your dreams what it, uh, or your goals that much easier when you have a map instead of no map at all. And so the plan isn't the end game. The plan is going to make it that much easier to get to the end of the road. I think that is something that we all struggle with as well. I feel that so many of us hinge everything on a plan. I mean, you've you only got to look at the complete state of, I need a business plan. You know, that is a completely arbitrary piece of documentation at times and it's there's a famous quote out there I forget who it is maybe it's Eisenhower or one of you guys listening can correct me he's certainly one of the big 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 sort of successful people and it's, it's the quote is hey Mark yeah that, that, that was my business plan was that yellow notebook really <laughs> you know the, my renter's warehouse business didn't have a business plan I didn't know how to use PowerPoint to create a business plan <clears throat> I didn't know about market size or cost of customer acquisition I had never gone to college. I didn't know about these things. I had zero business plan when I started my company that became a multi-million dollar success. Nothing. And very even many years into that business, when it became a multi-million dollar business, we still didn't have that much of a plan. We used a traction management system, something that uh, I'm a big advocate of now, but we never had that business plan. We had goals. We had uh, metrics that we kept track of, but we didn't have a business plan at least until three or four years into the business. That plan is so overrated. And that is the number one obstacle in most people's lives of why they don't start a business or start on something is because they don't think they have a plan. They don't know how to start a plan. If their plan isn't perfect and everything is thought through, they just don't even get started. And that is the critical flaw in most people's failure to, to succeed is they never even get started at succeeding. 
I completely get that. And that's that's how we run our businesses as well. Because I, I would wholeheartedly agree that the plan is so overrated. And it, it can actually hold you back because you don't have the confidence to look at opportunity when it knocks on the door for you. You actually say, well, listen, that's not in my plan, even if the plan is so, so, so wrong. So I, I completely buy into that. And that is always such a, a sage piece of advice to hear from, from anyone. Now, Brenton, let's just talk through that first year. The first year when you set up Renters Warehouse, let's think back. What did that look like? Because as you said, you didn't go to college. You didn't have the business plan. Where did you start? What made what made that drive to success so prominent? How did you get to where you were going? I'm really interested in that first year. Um, you know, I just started advertising. You need you need business coming in in order to make any money. And I thought I could figure out the product or service almost after I had the client, right? I would listen to what the clients needed and wanted. My, my property management service at first was very flexible because it wasn't, it wasn't rigid. It wasn't fully developed. And, and I would offer sing, things that I could do or could help a client with. And even in some cases, I'd make up the pricing as we go in the first year because we didn't know what was, what was market acceptable. And you know what? I don't think our clients minded that. Uh, they liked the flexibility. They understood. And there's sometimes a downside to feeling like they're working with a, a startup or a small business. But there's also a lot of benefits that people saw. Um, it's all about your value proposition, how you sell yourself. But, you know, we've really focused on advertising. Um, we also asked a lot of questions. Um, you know, I, I like to say this, whether it's as a manager or as a salesman, you should ask questions and have the heart of an educator, not a salesman and listen until it hurts because that'll arm you with the information that you can then be decisive. I didn't go to college. I wasn't a former CEO. I didn't know how to do real estate. But when I had meetings, I'd bring in the 10 most influential people I knew were in my, in my business. And I would bring up the problem and ask for their advice. And now while I was the, the sole decision maker, I needed their advice in order to take in the, all this different collaborative uh, set of information and then act on it. Um, and so whether you're a salesman or you're running a company, I think it starts with asking questions and that's more important than your business plan. In fact, those, that's before even your business plan. And that's what I mean about my business plan didn't come in until about three or four years into my business because I didn't quite know what my business was. I didn't know if we were playing soccer or football. You know, I knew we were in the in the sports game, right? Because I started off in buying and selling and then I went to rent and manage and you know, so we didn't know exactly what sport we were going and had we had a plan and we followed that plan, it you know, would have, would have been wrong, right? So the first year was all about asking questions, being agile, listening until it hurts. And sometimes it would, t in that hurting part was, you know, we need to abandon buying and selling and focus on rent and managing. So the first year was really a, really a year of learning. And then that second year was kind of how you execute now on your plan. You, uh, now that you have your plan and your roadmap, you need to step on the accelerator. And that's what year two was for me. The thing that I like about that is the distinct lack of ego because pulling 10 more influential people, more people with more experience in that field into a room and asking for their advice as the sole decision maker, that is obviously so, so logical. It's the right thing to do. But actually, so many of us just think, well, actually, I'm the CEO, I'm the entrepreneur, I should have all the answers. And 
what I love that you did there was so early on realize that actually, listen, I just need to listen and hear what is going on around me. And you know, that his- had an ancillary benefit too, Mark. Um, those people that were in my initial circle, whether it was three or four and eventually grew to what I call a level 10, um, became and are still with my business today. Some of those people never left the company since inception. We're an eight-year-old company and this was their first job. And it was because they were no longer at a job. They got to talk to the CEO. They got to be involved and heard in the big decision-making processes in the business. They were invested in my business without being investors. And now these are some of my highest ranking employees. You know, they might've been the office manager, but I wanted to hear from the 10 most influential people in my business. And sometimes I'd have same people from the department. Sometimes I'd have people in the office that I didn't even like to hear what they said, but I always knew they disagreed with me. And it was always good to hear that. Now I, you know, I'm not going to say I didn't have any ego and I didn't bark back when I didn't like hearing something I didn't like to see, but you know what? You still hear it, right? As stubborn or as big of an ego as you have, you still get those words going right in your ears and processed by your brain. And I brought in people into those meetings I didn't really want to hear from. But I thought it was good for me to actually hear what the opposition would say because I didn't. I think it, before you go to war, you got to know who you're going to war against, and you got to know what you stand for and stand against. And and if you if you have naysayers in the room and and supporters in the room, uh, you'll get a bit of collaborative information which you can mash together. And as a good leader, then you can make a decisive decision based on all the facts and merits of the case or an issue, perhaps. It's a, it's a very good way of approaching things. It's such a measured way of doing it. And I think a lot of us sometimes forget that it's that measured approach that leads to the right decision being made at the right time. We often, like you said, we often bark back and it's that barking back that, that causes the wrong decisions. It causes friction and, you know, that, that becomes very difficult. So again, that's a really admirable trait. I think that's it's such a good quality for all of us to try and try and just at least take a little bit from. And Brenton, what I'd like to do now is just shift gear just a little bit because many of us listening are perhaps looking at shifting into starting a business, perhaps working evenings, maybe even early mornings, and actually creating something on the side of our current job with a view to moving into something that we love doing. And Excellence Expected is all about three actionable takeaways. And I know you've put together three fantastic tips. So I'd like to dig into each one of those in a little bit of detail, please. So, Brenton, what is your first actionable tip for someone who is wanting to kick on in their business? Whether it's your business or just hitting your life dreams, I think it starts with a pas- with, pa- with passion. Then you need a plan. And you're going to need a lot of gumption or internal power. Uh, so I always say my first tip is, Start with passion, plan, and, a po- and power before you start any business or you're trying to achieve any goal. Because if <laughs> it's like a diet, right? That's why we all aren't very good at it. it we're not passionate about it. We don't have the inner gumption to get through to uh, lose that weight sometimes. But if you have passion, a plan, and you feel like you can be not stopped in your pursuit of it, you got the ingredients to achieve your goal, your dream, your uh, business uh, success, whatever you're looking for, you need those three ingredients. And if you don't have it, then you probably should keep looking. Yeah, get that completely because it gets hard. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. And those three things keep you moving forward. And, you know, when you get the knocks, you, you, you need to look inside because sometimes you're the only person that can see. So I think that's really, really important. And do you think it's it's easy to sometimes get lost in that kind of passion? Because what, what I love about what you said there is the power and the plan. Do you think passion enough is sorry, passion alone is enough to actually drive you forward. Or are those other two parts of that just as important? 
they're, they're equally important, but I'll put them in, in a hierarchy. I think passion is number one, power is number two, and the plan is a distant third. Um, if you've got passion and you're willing to power through objection, curves in the road, willing to make a left turn when you plan road a right turn, um, if you, if you got power, you can overcome about anything. I mean, look at the guy who made millions of dollars in pet rocks. That guy had passion and power, perhaps not a plan, but he had passion and power and he made it. Anything can happen with those first two things. If you got a plan, it's just that much more likely to be uh, something you'll be successful at. Fantastic. I love that. And the second actionable tip, please, sir. Uh, ask questions. Listen until it hurts. And then you must be decisive. If you're just a, a listener and a collaborator, you're not a leader. Um, I think a true leader is a collaborative leader, and it listens until they hurt, it hurts. They, they, they hear from those they don't want to hear from, and they hear from those that they do like to hear from, and then they hear from those that are neutral on the issue. you got to be uh, – information is power, and if you want to be a power, powerful or decisive leader, uh, you need to listen until it hurts and then be decisive. That's interesting. I like the idea of listening – to all sides of that, even the neutral. That, that's something that many of us don't consider the neutral. It's the for and the against, but the neutral, that's a very interesting one. That's a There's a lot of power in silence too. I tell a lot of my salesmen when they're sitting in a meeting and they get an objection you know, about their, the price being too high or, or whatever the issue is that they're objecting, sometimes just sitting there in silence for two or three seconds can, can create such uncomfortableness that people start negotiating with themselves. You know, there's, there is power in listening. Uh, oftentimes, the most powerful people are people who are listening and talking the least. Um, they're armed with information, and they use it and deploy it when it's required of them to be decisive. Um, and that's something I'm trying to work on every day is to, to listen more and to talk less. That is a very, I think that's a very common thing for the, the business persons. I think we all get to that point where we realize that we perhaps sometimes say too much because especially when you're younger in your career, you know, when you're 21, 22, you want to a lot of the time be the person that's got the answer and you just, you know, you fall into the trap of just talk, uh, sorry, listening just to talk and get your say. And the mm -hmm. more you become aware of that, the more powerful you become as a proxy. I think that's, that's a really interesting point. Is that, is that something that you continually have developed since you were, you know, starting out at 23? Was that something you identified pretty early on? Yes. Yes. You know, it, even when I was younger, I wouldn't even go on meetings. I didn't want people to know how old I was in person. I would only talk to them on the phone. Um, I would, I had, uh, uh, 10 questions I would ask people before I would even talk about myself or my services. Um, it was something that, um, I, I a mantra of mine member, uh, to a good salesman. I looked at what I look, looked for in a good salesman and I hated being sold or talked to. And I liked being, uh, educated and then confronted with uh, uh, an appropriate option. And so that's how I designed our sales process at our company is that we would ask questions like, why are you renting? Uh, what's your goal in renting? You know, why did you call me? Where did you hear about us? You know, we would warm them up that way. And then we'd say, okay, based on what I heard, we, we, I think I can diagnose what your problem is. You need a property manager to help you rent this property in two months for this amount of money. I think we can do that. You know, and it, it made the sales process so much better uh, and I'd use that in business too. When you're, you talk to all 10 people, they, they tell you good and bad things. And then you say, guys, thanks for the advice. You know, I really heard what he said and I've taken into consideration what she said, but you know what, here's where I'm at and why. And good or bad, it's, it's great when you can provide an explanation rather than you're just like, you know what, I'm just doing this. And, uh, I'm just an egotistical leader. Just, just follow my, my order without, you know, understanding it, just blindly run. 
Um, so really, really listening a lot in my business, especially as an uneducated new CEO, uh, helped me actually become an educated and, and um, a smarter CEO. And it's something I don't do enough. So uh, it's something that I'm going to continue to do uh, even into my retired life is uh, it, despite the fact that there's a lot of requests for me to do this and talk and share my knowledge, I still need to, I want to listen and learn more. Um, you know, I'm looking at doing something new in my life now. I'm getting into the medical cannabis business in Minnesota and I know nothing about it. I just, I just, I have a passion and I've partnered up with a guy who has a plan and we have, we have all the power in the world to make this thing happen, but I know nothing about it. And, uh, I can't, I can't wait to get in front of the people that know everything about this and ask questions. And that's where I'm starting, uh, my new empire. Uh, is to start by asking tons of questions and become the smartest guy in the room on it. Until I am, I'm not going to be talking a lot about it. It's such a good attitude. I think that's amazing. That is such a good attitude. And let's dig into, Brenton, the third and final actionable tip then, sir. Well, when you find an opportunity to do something awesome, you should do it yourself first, and then you can hire somebody else to carry on the process after that. But if you start too early to uh, you know, kind of outsource or direct a job, you never really become an expert. I think in order to uh, really be successful at something, you have to become a passionate expert about it. Um, so if you want a job done right, the old saying, do it yourself. Well, it's, it's the same as in business. If you're, you know, in my business, I was the rent collector. I was the salesman. I was the accountant. I was the office manager. I was the janitor. I had to do it all myself. And then I could write a little manual on how to teach somebody else to do it so I could hold them accountable to doing it. So if you want a job done right, you got to do it yourself first. Uh, but then hire somebody else to carry on the process if you truly want to be successful. That's a big thing, hiring someone else to take that over because the delegation yep. gets real difficult sometimes. So I think You don't want to be the janitor your whole life. <laughs> Learn to be the best darn janitor. And as soon as you're the best darn janitor, hand it off, move to the next thing. Absolutely. I completely, completely buy into that. And I think everyone, again, in small business really struggles with that. I feel that we all... You know, it's one of the biggest causes of people burning out, just trying to do everything. And I think that's so important because you need to know when when it's all right to pass that off. So I think that's such a good piece of advice. In fact, it's been a fantastic session with you, sir. Thank you so, so much for doing that. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, the pleasure's all mine, Mark. Thank you for having me. And uh, your guests are also welcome to uh, check out uh, my blog at renterswarehouse.com forward slash blog. I write weekly on uh, some entrepreneurial things like this, as well as entrepreneur.com and Inc. Magazine. Super stuff. Are you on the old Twitter as well, sir? Is there anywhere to connect with you on uh, on any social networks? You know, LinkedIn is where I'm most active. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's where uh, I can engage with you via messaging. And uh, and just uh, that's, that's where I'm most active. Super stuff. Check it out, guys. We'll get everything in the show notes, all the links that Brenton mentioned there. So amazing. Once again, sir, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. My pleasure. And guys, as I said, everything will be available at excellence-expected.com. And just before we stick a pin in it, one small favor to ask, please, if I may. If you enjoyed the show, if you enjoyed everything that myself and Brenton have spoken about, tell a friend, please. I do ask it every now and again. It's the biggest and best way to spread the word of Excellence Expected. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And until next time, guys, do not forget... The more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Adios. Bye-bye.